Okay, book of Micah, chapter number six. We have our outline. We noticed uh, Micah chapter one through three. He was proclaiming judgment, really, judgment in Israel and Judah in chapter one. The description of the specific sins for this judgment in chapter two. And then they denounce unto the leaders for their sins in chapter 3. Then we studied prophesying in chapter 4 and 5 of Micah. Chapter 4, prophecies of the last days. Chapter 5, prophecies of his first and second coming. And now in chapter 6, we have uh, the pleading, uh, you know, of uh, Micah to, to Israel. And the presenting of the evidence and the reasons for God's judgment. And we got down to verse 9, so we'll pick up there and let's pray before we begin. Lord, I just want to thank you for another privilege to study your word. Lord, I thank you and treasure this wonderful book. And thank you for the rain that you've sent us, Lord, and for your protection, the provisions that you've made for us, and every blessing of life. Lord, you know what we need tonight, and I pray you'd uh, speak to our hearts through your word and by your spirit. Bless and have your way in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, verse 9 says, The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Well, God is calling, you know, for the people to hear. And he's crying out to the city. Uh, and here, you know, the rod is probably speaking of uh, the judgment that was to come. Uh, you know, I think certainly that uh, there ought to be a self-examination when we uh, we have calamity and uh, in in to a nation or to a region, a state, or whatever uh, that we ought to examine ourselves and see if we're where we ought to be with God as a people. And so the Lord is crying out, and he, he has laid out the evidence in the preceding verses, basically saying that he wanted more than just uh, an outward ceremony. He wanted r real worship from the heart. He was not uh, uh, pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil. God was looking for something greater and deeper than that. Verse 8 said, The Lord requires of thee to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Notice those are attitudes of the heart. You know, anybody can put on a religious front and, and uh, go through the motions, but God's looking deeper into the heart of man of what's really there. And so he cries out for the people to hear what he has to say and to uh, to take heed to the judgment that was upon them or was coming and realize why it was coming and who it was coming from. Now verse 10, he says, Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is abominable? So he lays out the reasons for the judgment uh, that is coming upon them and uh, the crooked business practices. Yeah, I wonder how much of that goes on, really. How much misrepresentation 
you know, of, of the facts and, and uh, you know, some people to do anything to make a sale. And uh, the scant measure, he said, that is abominable. You know, the Lord uh, says, uh, heaped up and running over. That's kind of the way people used to give you a measurement. Uh, you know, you buy a bushel of apples and get an a bushel and a third, <laughs> you know, because they heaped it up and run it over. But now they, they may, uh, you know, put, put half of the basket full of newspapers or something. <laughs> uh, so the Lord was offended at their wickedness and, uh, and their crookedness in dealing with, uh, with others. Well, he says in verse 11, Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with a bag of deceitful weights? Uh, so uh, uh, certainly God was not going to smile upon their wickedness and their crookedness and their deceitful weights. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard of, uh, with this computer age, that uh, a lot of times in stores... Uh, an item will be advertised at a certain price, but when it's checked out, it's the, it's the regular price. You don't get the discounted price. And I heard him talking one time about how much of that goes on, and, and uh, you know, that's nothing but stealing. <laughs> you know, that's all it is, just a professional way of being dishonest. A lot of people don't bother to check how... You know, has checked out the price you get when it goes through the checkout count, everything. Nothing has prices anymore. Uh, you know, it, everything's barcode and, and they just run it through there and you might get the discounted price and you may not. Well, some of that may be unintentional. Some of it may be intentional. Uh, so God uh, is, is not placing his approval and uh, feels very, God feels very strongly evidently about this because uh, this is listed among the reasons of the judgment upon Israel of their going into captivity. That's pretty, pretty strong judgment, isn't it? And, uh, and uh, one of the reasons given here is, is this uh, uh, crookedness and, and wickedness in, in dealing, with, dealing with people and really taking advantage of nothing more than stealing from people is, is all it amounted to. Well, in verse 12, For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Well, not only were they, uh, were they doing this, but they, they were doing a lot of things violent. They were taking it by force. Uh, and uh, if, if they were not agreeable, they would just, they would just take, it, take it by force. And, uh, but God, uh, God was keeping account of the record and he said they, they speak lies and there's deceit in their mouth. So uh, these deceitful liars that were using violence to accomplish their end. Therefore, well, anytime you see therefore, you ought to ask the question, what is there for? Therefore, because of these things, therefore also will I make thee sick and smiting thee and making thee desolate because of thy sins. Well, uh, God says because of this, uh, uh, sickness is going to come upon you. The book of Deuteronomy 28, I want you to turn there and see what God told Israel. In Deuteronomy 28 and uh, verse, 
27, that's page 246. Deuteronomy 28, 27. He said, The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt, and with the emeralds, and with the scab, and with the itch, whereof thou canst not be healed. Verse uh, 35. The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed, and the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. And then in verse uh, 60 and 61. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law, them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. Now certainly all sickness is not a result of the judgment of God or the chastisement of God. But God warns Israel here that, uh, you know, because of their, of their if they became disobedient, that God would bring diseases that could not be healed upon them. And uh, certainly we know that all disease is a result either directly or indirectly of sin. If there was no sin in the world, there'd, there'd be no disease, there'd be no sickness. And uh, so when we get into we're with the Lord in the new earth, new heaven, there'll be no sickness. But, uh, you know, sin cursed us with this. And, and then we find further that uh, the Lord warns Israel that if they would, were disobedient, that they would, they would have these things come upon them. And of course it happened as, as a result of their, of their disobedience to the Lord. And so they're warned about this. Well, we go on in Micah here in chapter 6, verse 14. Thy shall eat, but not be satisfied. And thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee. And thy shall take hold, but shall not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. So he spells out the judgment, not only the sickness, but he says you'll eat and not be satisfied. You know, we... Uh, we're the eatingest people on earth, I guess. We have, we have more to eat. You know, I know Billy was commenting. You know, he's talked about uh, maybe the economy was, was not as good as it had been, but he says every time you pass, uh, you know, eating place, it's full. So people are finding a way to go out and eat in spite of the, maybe the weakness of the economy or whatever. When I was growing up, that was almost unheard of. You know, if you wanted to go out and eat, there wasn't anywhere to go. So uh, about the only going out and eating you did was, you know, go out in the porch or out, in, out under a tree or something like that or maybe go to a neighbor's. Uh, but now, you know, it's just every, every, everywhere you look, it's places to eat, you know. Nothing wrong with that. But anyway, he says, Thy shall eat and not be satisfied. And so here we are in America with all these good things and all these blessings, yet people are still seemingly not happy. And then he, he says they would live in unrest. And he says, Thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee. And then there will be downheartedness uh, and, uh, and business failure. Uh, and verse... Uh, 15, thou shalt sow, but thou shalt not reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but thou shalt not anoint thee with oil and sweet wine, but shalt not drink wine. So uh, 
they will be put to the sword and there will be crop failure. All these judgments that will come upon them. I was talking to Jack Buchanan here, here Sunday. He, he uh, said he didn't get anything out of his garden. It just dried up. Well, it shows how, how dependent we are on the Lord. You know, we're just, we're just one crop failure away from starvation in America. Have you ever thought about that? Think, well, we've got all, all these groceries stored up. Anybody that's ever worked in a grocery store knows that's not true. Uh, you know, if those trucks quit rolling in, those shells will become bare pretty quickly. And, uh, and just, just one, one bad year, and this nation would be in desperate straits. Shows how, how, we, how dependent we are on, the, on God and the weather, and uh, we should not lose sight of that. The Lord can cut us off. Now we live with the additional threat of you know, of uh, biological or chemical warfare and atomic weapons and in the hands of terrorists. So, uh, so we have all these things. And God told Israel that you would live in, they would live in fear. And in the, in the morning, they'd say, would God, it were evening. And in the evening, they'd say, would God, it was morning. And they would, uh, you know, uh, be, in, be in all that kind of condition and desperate condition. Well, God warned them. He talks to them about these things that would come upon them, and of course they did. And it's amazing how that, uh, how that, that land, you know, I, I want, I've often wondered when I went to Israel, it makes you wonder what Moses looked at when he looked over into the land of, of Canaan, over the land of, that God promised to them. And it was, and you know, they brought back those grapes, two men uh, uh, carrying it on a pole between them. And you go to Israel and you won't see that. Uh, you know, you'll see, uh, you'll see a barren land. Of course, it's begun to, it's begin to, to uh, turn green again to, to, an, to an extent. But when the Jews have been out of the land, the land has been barren. And, and it's because of the curse of God, because of their disobedience. Well, God warned them, told them what would happen. And then in verse 16, For the statutes of Omri are kept, and all the works of the house of Ahab. You walk in their counsels, that I should make thee a desolation, and the inhabitants thereof in hissing. Therefore you shall bear the reproach of my people. Well, instead of walking in the counsels of the Lord, they were following the counsels of Omri and Ahab. Omri was uh, the father of Ahab, two of Israel's worst kings. And uh, the thing that was bringing the judgment of God upon them. Let's turn to 1 Kings 16 and we'll, we'll see a little bit of information about these kings. 1 Kings 16, page 410. 410. And verse uh, 23. Read several verses here. In the thirty and first year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri to reign over Israel twelve years. Six years reigned he in Terzal, and he bought the hill Samaria of Shemir for two talents of silver, and built on the hill, and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shemir, owner of the hill, Samaria. Now, Samaria, you know, becomes the capital after the nations divided becomes the capital of the northern kingdom, the ten nations, the ten tribes rather. 
But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, wherewith he made Israel a sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and his might, which he showed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Omri to reign over Israel. Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. He is worse than his daddy. It came to pass as if, he, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. In his days did Hael the Bethlehite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof. And his youngest son, Zegub, according to the word of the Lord, which is spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. So there you have it, Omri and Ahab. Well, Micah is speaking against this, these ungodly kings and the statutes that Israel was now following, inviting the judgment of God upon them. So we move on now to chapter 7, and in this chapter we have the pardoning. And this chapter begins with Micah lamenting the condition of his blessed nation. Verse 1, Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. Well, the, the, now this end of the harvest. And you remember, he was remembering those first fruits. You know, there's nothing like that first mess of beans or those first new potatoes and uh, those first roshaniers. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, just, they're just better than any of the others, you know. And you can get some, you know, get those gleanings later on, but they're not as good as that first. And so Micah is remembering how it used to be. He remembers the blessing of God upon his nation. Now he looks at the idolatry that had invaded the land and the wickedness and the sin and the judgment that was coming. And he talks about this, and he says, Woe is me! And his soul desired their first ripe fruit. Well, in Jeremiah 8.20, I think it's one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible, page 782, he says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And that's going to be the testimony of multitudes of people. You know, the Lord... The day of grace is over. The Lord has come. And people are still lost. The rapture takes place. 
You know, I was thinking a while ago, not a lot of folks turned out tonight. I was thinking, you know, people better, better hope that it isn't raining when the rapture takes place. Say, Lord, I can't go. It's too, too, too bad. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, that's, a sad, that's a sad verse, tragically and seriously. The summer is ended, the harvest is past, and we are not saved. Uh, you know, the opportunity is going to be over for long. The door is wide open now. God's door of invitation is open to whosoever will. And, and anybody can come and anybody can be saved. But soon that door will be shut and it'll be too late. And that's going to be a sad, sad occasion when people realize they pass by their day of opportunity and it's too late to get saved. Woe is me. Well, in verse 2, the good man is perished out of the earth. There is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. But it looked like uh, the whole world had turned against God. You know, uh, I guess Micah feeling kind of like Elijah did when he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. Uh, the Lord said, wait a minute, Elijah. I've got 7,000 haven't bowed the knee to bell. You just think you're alone. You know, there's, there's some people out there that love God and, and there's some people still want to serve the Lord. But Micah says the good man's perished out of the earth. You ever feel like that? You ever get a bad deal and, and you think, well, the whole world's turned against God. But it's really not that way. Sometimes we, you know, we magnify the problem. He said there's none upright. But it seemed that... Uh, that everybody turned their back on God. Uh, in uh, Genesis, the Lord describes a day that was really, that was really like that. And uh, for the most part, Genesis 6, days of Noah before the flood came. Genesis 6, verse 11, says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh and corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Well, God said that all flesh had corrupted his way, except for Noah and his family, really, and whom God spared in the ark. And... Uh, it was a terrible time. You know, the amazing thing is the Lord said, as, he, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Lord returns, as it was. And we're fastly approaching those times. Well, verse 3, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desires, so they wrap it up. Well, uh, you know, you've heard about uh, the saying people, you know, taking money under the table. <laughs> uh, I don't know where that, that uh, saying came from. Uh, I guess some card playing or whatever and, and, uh, and maybe watching too many westerns. <laughs> but uh, my wife likes those westerns, I think. Those old, those old shows, Danny Griffiths and 
you know, where they don't cuss every breath and, and uh, all that sort of thing. But, uh, but anyway, they, and I, I'm sure this goes on more than we realize. The judge asks us for the reward, you know. I wonder how many can be balled off. They're there to, supposed to enforce the law of the land. But if you, you know, you know it's, it's, it's almost an undisputed fact there, you know, there's, there's one set of rules for the rich and one set for the poor. So if you can, if you can hire, uh, you know, the right kind of lawyer, a lot of times you can get out of stuff that a person, normal person could not. And uh, so they were uh, engrossed in evil and, and the uh, officials were taking bribes and selling out and, and uh, you know, uh, God is laying the charges out. Micah, well, you can imagine why, how Micah, how popular he was. I'm sure he wasn't a very popular preacher. He was preaching stuff like this and, you know, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. But he had a message from God and he delivered it. Well, verse 4, he says, The best of them is as a briar. Well, <laughs> I don't, you like briars? I just, I just don't like briars. And, uh, you know, I think God's going to take care of that problem when he, in the millennium and in the eternal age. I think he'll take the thorns off the roses. <laughs> but, uh, Briars, you know, they get in there and you can't get the things out and, and they fester up. And He said the best of them, not the worst, best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. Now shall be their perplexity. Well, I remember uh, killing a deer one evening and that thing I thought, you know, it, I thought it was going to fall right there and it pitched down the hill and ended up down the briar patch. After I got, got to that thing, I wished I'd never, never killed it. <laughs> uh, I got in all those briars and what a mess. But uh, here he's describing this, uh, this time and uh, this time of perplexity. Well, the best of them. Uh, listen to what God says in, in Psalm 39, verse 5. Behold, I hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Think of that. That's not very flattering, is it? Say, man, it is worse. Man, it is best state is altogether vanity. And he talks about my days are in hand breath. You know, your days compared to eternity are, are that, about that long, you know, about as far as you can reach with it, what, about nine inches, maybe? Uh, if you have a good size hand, I guess, depends on the size of your hand. But, uh, but uh, a hand breath, picture of life. It's very short, isn't it? You know, uh, as you get older, you realize how short it really is. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. God lays out the condition. And then in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. 
It talks about this watchman, a picture of the watchman. In uh, Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 18 through 21. When I say unto the wicked, Thy shall surely die, and I givest him not warning, thy, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness, and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned also thou hast delivered thy soul. So God is uh, here, uh, or Micah is here applying this truth to Israel. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexity. In Luke 21, he talks about the day that is coming in verse 25. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption. And uh, it's, coming, it's coming to the world too. You know, we, it's an exciting thing for us that are saved because we're getting out of here. Thank God for that. You know, if it gets much worse, I'm glad I'll be gone. And uh, we're, we're leaving here pretty soon. And after we, get, after we leave, it's going to be a time of judgment and wrath. All, all this judgment's going to come. It's going to be a, a terrible time. Well, I'm going to stop there. I thought I might get through tonight of this book, but I don't believe so. So we'll, uh, we'll stop there and fin try to finish it next time before we go into the book of Nahum in the next uh, following Micah here. Okay, let's pray.